Well, we are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and how to be a person who brings unity. There is a formula. There is a rhyme to the reason how to make that happen. Now, um, Paul has been talking on that unity in the church and keeping that unity, and it would be this way if you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, worthy of the gospel, oh, I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that. I got too much anger and too much greed and too much lust, and, and I'm just, oh, I hate, I just, I'm so disappointed in myself when I read that in the Bible. Walk in a manner worthy because I'm such a failure uh, as a human being and as a Christian. I, I'm struggling so many ways I shouldn't. Well, it's not what it's saying. It's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the gospel of grace. Is it the loving kindness and tender mercies of God that bring us to repentance? So let your life be lived just full of grace and graciousness. That when you go to share the gospel, they're going to go, I've sort of already got the gospel from watching you. I've, I've, I'm watching you being this merciful person, this loving person, this kind person. And, and actually living next door to you or working with you or bumping into you at the gas station or grocery store or whatever it is, I, I, you, you have a graciousness about you. And now you're speaking of a gospel of grace. And, and I've already experienced something unique that's coming from you. And you say, God has dumped on me grace and mercy and kindness and patience and love. And he has told me to walk in the spirit so I in turn can be a person of graciousness and kindness and, and love. Right? In the grocery store, somebody's you know, trying to get there, just stop and let them. Just slow down, come on, come on, get in front of me. That's fine, you know? If you have, it says no more than 10 items and you have 20 items, just do it quickly, do it quickly. <laughs> What's that, Greg? Yeah. So anyway, you guys are, are getting it. So the gospel's full of grace, so should you be. The gospel's full of mercy, so should you be. The gospel full of love, so should you be. The gospel is full of kindness, so should you be. The gospel's full of forgiveness, so should you be. Yes, I think it's true. We want to be holier. We want to be pure. And I have found as a human being, it's just a roller coaster. There's good weeks and bad weeks, good months and bad months, and good decades and bad decades. I've been there. So I, I get it. You know, that's just sort of a constant thing. We're just saying, Lord, let me deny myself, take up the cross, and follow you. And so I, I always want that to be also in my thoughts. But that's just not what it's saying here. The focal point is live out the gospel so you don't even have to use words. 
They heard the gospel through you. So today we pick up and we discover in chapter 2 now, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, I don't know if you noticed there, but in those four verses are a list of things. And often we don't really take the time to really break down the list. So we're going to do it today. First of all, in verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. Interesting, chapter 1 focused on us keeping the unity in the church for those who are outside observing us. But now, he's talking about, in chapter 2, he's going to focus on the inside. Let us be unified on the inside so we can have that beautiful unity in the church for the church's sake. First of all, he starts the word if. <clears throat> now, when we are looking at if and the various conditions in which it can be used, there's, there's called three cases of condition of if. The first case is it's translated if, but it also could be written since. It's a fact. It's in the positive. The second class if, second class conditional if, is if, and it's assumed it's in the negative. So one is positive, two is negative. The third one, it could be either way, negative or positive. This here is in the positive. So it could be translated since, and modern trans some modern translations might do that. But if you leave the word if in there, it becomes rhetorical positive. So uh, in other words, <clears throat> is there encouragement in Christ? The answer is going to be yes. It's a rhetorical yes. Is there any comfort of love? Yes, and et cetera, et cetera. So these are the reasons why we ought to have unity in the church. Here's the rhetorical question. Is there any consolation or encouragement in Christ? The New Living Translation doesn't use the word consolation. It actually has the word encouragement. But this encouragement, it's, it's not just any encouragement. It's, it's an encouragement that's very kind and gentle. So it's not like the football coach, get out there now and do one for the gipper. Oh, I feel so encouraged. That's not the encouragement. This encouragement is a very kind, gentle, slow-moving, coming alongside in tenderness, helping them. I think Isaiah 40, 11 hits it. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Don't you love that? 
You know, when I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of him that way. Oh, he was a mighty man of God. But we learn in 2 Corinthians, not in person. In person, he was soft. In person, he had a, a voice that, that wasn't a booming voice. In character, he was short. And, and he was so gentle among them. He says to the Thessalonian church, as if you were babies sucking on the mother's breast. And so we fed you. Try to imagine yourself for a moment being that gentle, encouraging person coming alongside. I, I can't imagine doing that without a scripture, without having, hey, you know, the Lord put this verse and so many great comforting verses in the Bible, so many encouraging verses in the Bible. You know, I, I have some friends that will send me verses from time to time. They, they get the ones, you know, out like of Job that says your breath, it's a verse in the Bible that says your breath stinks and is loathsome to your children, your wife and children. They'll send me verses like that from time to time. <clears throat> or there's a verse in the old King James that says par bar four, two on the causeway and four on the par bar. It's in the old King James. It means two's on the high road and two's on the low road. But anyway, we have a lot of fun. It's actually encouraging. So if you're a funny type person, there, there's other verses there. You can make somebody laugh at least. But now he actually uses the word comfort. He says, is there any consolation or, or any comfort, a tender comfort? But now he, he doesn't just say comfort, does he? He says comfort of what? Love. It's a loving comfort. To speak to somebody alongside them, to speak with a friendly way, to speak in a reinsuring, consoling, tender persuasion. Love, you guys know that word, agape. So is there comfort? Is there, does Christ come alongside and comfort us and we, we're just baptized in his love? Have you had that experience lately? I, I've had it a few times in my life. I remember as a teenager, I was very legalistic. I was very hard. I was very hard on myself and others. Just got to follow God. Got to obey him. You got to read your Bible for at least half an hour in the morning. And, you know, you, know, you got to pray this, you know, as sort of like a Christian Muslim, you know. <laughs> and of course, I would crush myself and I'd crush other people. But I, I can really remember I was 19 years old driving, and the Lord's Spirit just said, Brian, I love you. And I never really believed that, I don't think. And I never even considered it was important. <laughs> yeah, God loves everybody. Yeah, you know. Santa Claus gives everybody a present. Yeah, God loves everybody. No big deal. But it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. God's spirit just poured on me and I sensed that God loved me and nothing else really mattered but me first receiving that love and then walking in love. And when I began to walk in love as God's great love comforted me, it was Christianity now. <laughs> it wasn't some re Christian religion. It was truly Christianity Christianity is about God so loving the world, right? He gave his only begotten son. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of what? All comfort. Who do we have? Our Father, the Father and the Son, they're full of mercies and they're full of all types of comfort. Paul explains why he suffered so much in 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7, who comforts us in our consolation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in the trouble with the com comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the suffering of Christ abounded in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you are partakers of the consolation. So often people are on the verge of being bitter at God or mad at God. And, and why am I suffering so much? And, and many people will throw away their faith saying, man, I had to watch my eight-year-old child uh, suffer for two years and then die of cancer. God does exist. I hate his guts. Last place I want to be is eternally with him. They, they have a bitterness of heart. But God doesn't do anything randomly. God doesn't, yes, the world's throwing flus and colds and diseases and all kinds of hardships and, and we're in this world and just not of it. But Paul says, there's really one reason I suffer that at least I'm going to let myself believe. The one reason I suffer. Because God keeps loving me with his comfort at a deeper and deeper and deeper level. And I'm finding myself being a deeper minister of that comfort. If that's the case, I say, Lord, let me suffer. Let me struggle. And if it's in that deep suffering, that humility and brokenness, and in an experience that there's no other way to experience that, but now I'm able to comfort others with the comfort I receive from God, that's a good enough answer anyway. Cheryl and I uh, went to her 40th college graduation. I mean, uh, reunion. I keep saying <laughs> reunion. It only took her four years, not 40 years. <laughs> took Moses 40 years. But uh, <laughs> her college graduation. Reunion. <laughs> uh, okay. Went to her college reunion. And uh, mine's next year. But... Uh, it, it was amazing. One, it felt like an out-of-body experience. It's like we, it, it was only been one second. And then we met some people there that we sort of knew in college that had not a very good walk with the Lord, if at all. And to see what all of them have been through in their lives, and they came back, and it was just so rich. One of the gals who was 
probably the best pianist that you'll ever hear. And her father was a professor of music there, and she played for our choir. And, and um, she ended up being an alcoholic after college for 20 years. And we grew up in a, a denomination. You don't even go to movies. You don't go to circuses. You definitely don't drink. But man, it was just a, it was just a beautiful thing that God had done through her life, through that difficulty. Another gal just so full of the spirit, and she has been fighting breast cancer for the last several years. And, uh, you know, you, you, just, you just come back and you realize, I'm having sweet fellowship with people I never, ever could have even dreamed. Because we've been to some of her reunions, and, and they were not very spiritual. But this was very, very spiritual. And I, I just, again, came and just said, Lord, I, I want that fellowship in the Spirit. And often it comes through receiving that comfort of love. So now he said, is there any fellowship, koinonia, we know that word well. It's also our word communion or partnership or joint participation of the Holy Spirit. So a fellowship where we're being comforted and and admonish gently to lead us deeper into Jesus and deeper into the truth. So in other words, it's like that verse, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In this case, as we're suffering, as we're being comforted, as God gently is picking up his lambs in his arms and carrying them, we are having this experience with the love of the Holy Spirit, and so is everybody else. So when we come together, we're on that same page. We're going to see in a minute, all these things are not for you individually. He's saying it's for all of us experiencing it together. Then we end up with this radical unity. So are we all suffering <laughs> in one way or another? Are we all being gently led by our Savior? Has Jesus ever had a whip in his hand and screaming at us and telling us what failures we are? And No, he's always been that one. So now the Holy Spirit is leading us. In John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, when I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify, what? Of me. John 16, 13 to 15. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will, speak, uh, he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, that is from Jesus... He will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And he will take what is of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit brings us into the sweet fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. And then when we come together, we all together have that kind of sweet fellowship where the Holy Spirit is causing that koinonia, that communion amongst us. In 1 John 1, verse 3, 
That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says here, man, sitting around the campfire by the Sea of Galilee was, was fine, but it's not what it is now with God's Holy Spirit in us. Remember, the apostles didn't have the Holy Spirit in them until after Jesus died and rose again. In John 20, he breathed on them. And he said, now we have the Holy Spirit is the one keeping us in this deep unity with Jesus. And it's better than it was when we, he was on earth because the Holy Spirit is in us. And he said, now you can join with us. And it's as if you were one of the apostles with Christ as well through the Spirit right now. Together. Do you, do you understand that? The fellowship, the koinonia of the Spirit, it's together. Each of these things is together. This is such an important point because especially in America, people keep seeing Christianity as an individual thing. The church is like a choir. Can you have a choir of one? It, it's an oxymoron, right? It's impossible. Can you have a football team of one? It, it can't be done. This is what he's saying, guys. And he's going to continue on this point right into chapter 5, where he says Christ died for us individually. No. I died for the church, the whole choir, if you would. I didn't die for you individually. Now, the Bible does tell us that he did that. But he did it that we would be in the church. Not that we would have this individual thing by ourselves, you know, out in the woods under some tree. <laughs> but immediately when we are born again, God's spirit would bring us into the church. One's a hand, one's an eye, one's an ear. We, without the church, we're pretty weird. I mean, a leg by itself, that's yucky, scary. Or as my grandchild would say, Halloween, Halloween. Anytime you get scared. But a whole body and two legs, now that's a nice thing. It's very nice. And so, just to you here, I wish there were others here that would catch this moment in time. Are you in the church really helping the church? Just, just ask this question. If everybody attended church the way you attend church, would we have a church? <laughs> you see, there are some people, and this is what they do. They come every fifth week or, you know, five times a year or 10 times a year, whatever suits them. They wake up on a Sunday morning, oh, I think I'll go to church today. But the reality is, is they expect some people to be there every Sunday. Or there would be no church. Right? If you didn't have people that came regularly, every week, every week, every week, there would be no church. Correct? So in essence, they're really not in the church for the fellowship of the Spirit, they're in the church for what suits them. 
If everybody financially gave the way you give, would the church exist or not? If everybody showed up every fifth week and threw a, you know, whatever change they had left over from the weekend uh, bonanza, whatever you did, w- would there even be enough to pay the rent? <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm saying? This is where Paul's going to be getting. Everybody in chapter 4, he's going to say, every part has to do its part. Every joint and ligament has to be there. One ligament missing from a leg, you're in trouble, aren't you? And this is the point he's, he's trying to get to here, is that Christianity would quit being a self-centered thing. And it would be about Christ loving the church and dying for the church. And the whole church is the bride. And when Christ comes again in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's coming for the what? Church. And guess who he takes to heaven? The church. But yet, I think we get this thing in our mind. It's about me. Does it suit me to go to church today or not? Well, I'll, I'll fill it out tomorrow morning. It, it is... Am I going to give God the first 10% of the tithe? Mm, If I can afford it this month, I'll think about it. Will I give myself to the word and prayer each and every day, meditating on it and and seeking the will of God? (sighs) Well, yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah, Paul is trying to help this church, this church in Ephesus, as we saw in Revelation 2 last week, it's lost its love. Do you know why it lost its love? Because it was focused on self. Remember where you have fallen. Get back to that place. In essence, what is a strong Christian? Does God love us more when we're living obedient and loves us less when we're disobedient? Ridiculous. What's what's God desire for us? Weak Christians can't be as fruitful, can't love God as much. Strong Christians can. But he's going to make it clear here today that you being strong by yourself isn't going to make the unity of the church. All four tires have to be pumped up, right, for the car to drive. What what does God really want? He wants us to get our eyes off ourselves and say, Jesus, what do you love? Then that's what I want to love. Jesus, what do you hate? Then that's what I want to hate. And we live a life loving what God loves, where he's putting his focus and energy towards. And Paul is going to make a redundant point in this chapter. It's us understanding that we don't make up the temple. We're just one stone in the temple. We're just one little bit part of the body. And to understand when I am not strong or when I sing out of tune in the choir, 
what happens? It hurts the whole choir, right? When I am not exercising and getting strong and I go out to be a part of the football team, I, I, I'm not a good football player, a part of the team. And this is what he's trying to get us to. So then he goes on to say, any fellowship theory, the next thing he says, is there any affection of mercy? In the King James, it actually translates there any bowels of mercy. <laughs> because the literal word here is bowels or intestines. But it's just not the stomach. It means the heart, the lungs, the liver, all parts of it. But in the Greek, it's understood it's deep. It's a deep emotional, passionate stirring. Matter of fact, it's seated in the tender affections is another way of saying it. It's so deep in our heart, we would say it today, to have this deep, overwhelming heart. It's passionate. It runs deep. I, I literally, oh, I tighten up my stomach muscles when I think about it. What, what am I thinking about? The mercies of God. The world, I mean, Satan's done a good job. You know, God is Thor. He's up there with the hammer. How dare you? How dare you? Of course I'm sending you to hell. You know, and loving it. I'm sending you to hell and I'm loving it. And that's the way some Christians act. But we know it's the opposite, don't we? Our God is the God of the, the prodigal sons. He's the dad. He's the shepherd. He's, he's King David there when he brings Mephibosheth in and Saul's grandson to live with him in the palace and treat him as a king. We can go through the scripture. God is the hen gathering the chicks under her wings to love them and protect them that we would have the bowels of mercy to show the stirring of love. In Luke, 16, in Luke 6, 36, Jesus said, Therefore be merciful just as, what? Your Father also is merciful. And he goes on to say, He has it rain on the wicked and on the just. He has the sunshine on the wicked and the just, he loves them and shows mercy to them. They may not even recognize it, but we need to help them recognize it. So unity comes when we have the same kind of affection, compassion, mercy upon each other as Jesus had upon us. I like it to call it the, the culture of grace or the grace culture. In Ephesians 4.32, we're going to get, we, we, we just covered that for to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as equals to God and Christ has forgave you. So, as we think of verse 1, all of these things we just talked about are very attainable for who are believers. Both, But the question is, are we actively living with Christ? And are we thus overflowing with in the spirit that we are practicing towards one another. Well, verse two, another long list here. Fulfilling my joy, being of like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Did you see that? Like-minded, one accord, one mind. 
First of all, he says, fill up my joy by me thinking of this church that I started in Ephesus. You've had many teachers, but only one father. And he says, fill my joy. Now, in verse 1, he was pleading with them. He was just saying, please, have bowels of mercy, please. But now, in verse 2, he's giving a command. He's no longer pleading with them. He's commanding them, make my joy complete. Or the word gladness also. And it's in the past continuance. It's saying, make my joy now complete and then continue to do that. Having how? How are you going to make my joy complete? Having the same love. What love? The love of Christ. That we all pray and get on our knees and cry out saying, God, pickle me in your love till I know your love. And I don't know any life outside of your love. And then being on one accord. And that, again, refers to a united spirit or a harmonious spirit. Robertson says this in his dictionary. Harmonious in soul, or souls all beating together, in tune with Christ and each other, of one mind. Now, this stresses the importance of our thinking. We're all thinking the same way, like a, a group of clocks that are all striking or chiming together. The unity is the goal. So we would all come together. He commands us that... Let my heart rejoice. And of course, we know the Lord's writing this. The Jesus is saying, give me joy when the church comes together. How? By being of the same mind. You're all clicking, thinking about grace and kindness and love and mercy. And I know that last week you didn't feel good, but you still made it here and you loved on me and you prayed for me. And it was encouraging to, to be there. And now this I'm struggling, but I'm going to come. I feel like a sinner. I feel beat up, but I'm going to come because I'm not coming for you. I mean, excuse me, I'm not coming for myself. I'm coming for you. This is how we make the Lord's joy complete. He goes on in verse 3 and 4 saying, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So how is a person that brings about unity? Here it is, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness or humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So he's going to give us several steps. The first step here is selfish ambition. Very simply, he is saying, in our flesh, much of the time, we do not live out love for others, but out of our own desire that advances our own self-promotion. Now, I, I want to make a note here. All ambition is not bad. There's actually good ambition and even godly ambition, wanting to see others. I'm ambitious to see you grow in love. I'm ambitious to see you grow in ministry. 
So first of all, he says selfish ambition. Secondly, he says conceit. Let nothing be done through conceit. This is the second step. Conceit is thinking too highly of oneself. Literally can be translated empty glory. The dictionary says that this, an excessive favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, wit, and so forth. It's, it's amazing when people get perturbed and leave the church. Most of the time they're thinking, what's the church going to be now without me? And it's sort of like, okay. So the church was about you. There's the problem. But if you're thinking those kind of thoughts, it's where would I be without the church? Am I really experiencing it? If that's their heart, no wonder they can't worship God in the same spirit as everybody else. They, they can't hear the word humbly with a teachable spirit like everybody else. And so in essence, although they're sitting side by side, they're not experiencing that work of unity in the spirit. But now he says the opposite. He says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is the third step. The concept is quite the opposite and rather abrasive to a secular culture, a worldly mindset that says, love yourself. Now, I will say this, this holiness, the Greeks didn't have a word for humility, but it is the word humility. That's really what's being said here, have this radically humble heart. But in the pagan's mind of Paul writing, this, this would have been insane. Because in the pagan's mind of this day, the way you are a man was making others submit by you being so dominant and it put other people out of business and you force your own business to be the greatest one. This is what I am saying, is that it was completely con in contrast to the way they would have thought. Linsky says this, the Christian ethical idea of humility could not be reached by the secular mind. It lacked the spiritual soil to do so. Well, in our day and age as well. And then the next step, step number four, is to esteem others better than himself. So put other people's interests before your interest. And now, secondly, esteem others better than yourself. In our culture today, I think they would see that as unhealthy because I need to concentrate on loving myself and building up my self-esteem. Now, you know what? There's a place for that. Especially if somebody has been in an abusive home or an abusive relationship where they have tore them down until they literally have no uh, self-worth, an abusive relationship. They, they really do, do need counseling and some help to build back up their self-esteem to a normal level. <laughs> to a healthy level. But typically, if that's not the case, we need to say it's not about me building my self-esteem up. It's about me building up your self-esteem. How do I do that? If, if I make a way to come and greet you, ask you how you're doing, 
give you a hug, if I send a text or a verse to somebody, all those efforts are saying you are important and you're important here. I mean, that cheer song had it right. Everybody wants to go where somebody knows your name. And they want to go to a place that we see all our troubles are the same. We, we really do want that connection. I, I think the way we do church really hurts the connection because we don't sit and eat and fellowship for an hour or two. I pastored down right next to the Mexican border. Calvary Chapel San Diego was in Chula Vista. And there was two white people in the church, me and my wife. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There were a few, but it was all kinds of cultures. But you know what all those cultures had? in common, food, and eating, and fellowshipping. So I built the building in such a way, so it had a big playground so the kids could play, and then the parents could sit in different places, and, and, and people did stay for a very long time. And, you know, as we're heading into that summer month, maybe we do need to do a picnic once a month or something. But again, it's, it's hard, because even then, people are like, well... I'll stick around, but man, that TV is missing me. (laughs) Right? That beach is calling my name. But there's a different thing there that, that, that when we come to say, it's about me. Yeah, I want to be fed, but it's about me using my gifts to minister by the grace of God and I need to be strong in the Lord so I can be strong to minister. I need to be praying and full of the Spirit so when I go to church, I am a light and a blessing and love for all those people that need that love. I mean, if we were to ask everybody to anonymously write whether you're feeling lonely, whether you're hurting, whether you're suffering, whether you feel like you don't have enough friends. Come on, we know what that would be, don't we? We'd all be the same. But again, we don't often have the energy to make it happen. But when somebody makes the the energy to do something special for you, doesn't it just change? There is a, a story by Ann Kimmel who wrote a story about a young man who she found out afterwards was on the verge of suicide. At school, you know how schools can be. He ended up being the guy that everybody sort of picked on and made fun of and used his name in a derogatory term. But one of the kids in the high school group just said, this is, I need to love this person. And they went, it was awkward, it was difficult, but she, he came to youth group. And on the second time, his mother showed up and, and said, what are you doing? She's like, nothing. What, what, what are you talking about? She said, my son feels like he's the most important person in your youth group. Everybody's saying hi to him and loving him and talking to him and inviting him to go to the beach with him and and, and literally he came home the other night. Yeah, I don't know if you know, we're atheists. We've never been in church. But he came home weeping, saying, 
I met Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. And it was because of them being Jesus to him. That's what we need to be. Every time we get together, it should be a something. It shouldn't be white noise. We come to church, we sing songs, that's white noise. We leave. Ask somebody in the parking lot, what was the sermon about? Oh, boy, man. Whew, that's a minute and a half has gone by. Let's make a moment. Every time we come, let's not come to have somebody else make a moment. You make a moment. When I took our kids on vacation, I did everything I could to make moments that they would never forget. And I'm saying every Sunday we should make a moment that we never forget, right? And it's not about us. <laughs> Often you water, you get watered yourself, right? I mean, it's just one of God's things. You, you, you give and it's given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But your goal should be, I want to love, hug, pray for, encourage as many people as I can in the venue we have. Now, again, when I go overseas, people don't have TVs at home often. They don't have movie theaters. There is really no parks with playgrounds like we have here. Literally, they'll come to church an hour, and they want to stay at church for until they have to go home at night because they have nothing else to do. There is nothing. They don't have money. They, they have nowhere to go. They want to stay and be there. Well, we're sort of the opposite. And, and I think God can change that, even that, in us to say, I, I, maybe, maybe I only touch three people today. I'm going to make it five next week where I touch their lives. I've got to get there early. I've got to hang out and minister. And, and I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I am not trying to do a manipulation here at all. I, I'm just really trying to share the heart of what I believe these verses are saying. And to compare it to other cultures to help us wake up maybe for some things that are unhealthy in our culture. In 1 Corinthians 2.14 but the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. In Mark 9, you guys know this story well, in verse 33 to 35, then he came to Capernaum and he was in the house and he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? They were arguing and they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. <laughs> and he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be what? Last of all and servant of all. Listen to Jesus' life. Listen to Jesus' teaching. Boy, did he esteem everybody else better than himself. In, Mark, in Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Matthew 23, 11 and 12, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we know this one well, John 13. I love this, how it starts out in verse 3 through 5 here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. 
Some of the modern translations saying all power, all authority had been given unto him. Now, now I've got the power. Well, with all that power, what did he do? He, he came, he rose up from the supper table, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and washed the disciples' feet. Remember, Peter said, not me. And he said, oh, you got to let me wash your feet or you're not a part of me. Oh, wash not my feet, but my whole body. No, just your feet. But in verse 12 of John 13, he goes on to say, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat down again and said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, so I am. But if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. Well, the fifth final thing here in bringing unity is let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. And it's not saying don't look out for your own interest. He's saying don't only look out for your own interest. And he just told us don't put your interest before other people's interest. So once again, in simple way, it's the Jesus style, isn't it? John 12, 24, truly I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. That old way of thinking in our natural mind. Quit treating the church like a business that you can come and go as you want. Quit using the church like a theater where you come in and get your entertainment and then exit the theater as quickly as you can. Treat the church as a church. And what is the church to do? Minister. I never call myself a pastor or a minister. I don't feel like one. I just feel like a blessed Christian. But we all know, we all are ministers, right? We are all ministers. One's a mouth and that's me. But we all are ministers. That's what we do when we wake up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going out to grocery shopping or we'll visit friends or go to work. We are first and foremost of all ministers of God. We're ministers to be lights and salt. And we're going out there and we're so different. Because I want to know how I can bless you. When some guy's being selfish and trying to cut in everybody, about everybody, you know, you know where you got that, where you're like the hundredth car in line to get on the exit, and all these guys are coming and cut in front of you. People act, act first of all, like, I can't believe this. Of course, they did it, the exit back. <laughs> but every time I see that, I'm just like, hey, go. How can I, how can I serve you? In the same way, in the workplace, in our neighborhood, I am your servant. When Jesus came into Samaria, he came as the servant. When he was in Galilee, he came as a servant. He didn't 
come in any other, that we would have this heart to be ministers of Christ and, and to see that we are about the Father's business and that is not about earth stuff, it's about heaven stuff. And I want your interest first because I want to love you. I want to build you up and esteem you highly in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, again, all that old passed away. We have a new way of living now. In Matthew 10.38, whoever does not take his, up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow. So we're going to look in context next time. Such great stuff. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So going back to the very beginning, I want to read Philippians 2, 1 through 4, once again, as we come to a close. Therefore, there is any consolation in Christ. If there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliest of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Lord, we come here. We're just a small fellowship in a very unique little village. <laughs> of Rossmore. But we know if two or three gather in your name, you're here, and it's substantial. It's always substantial. Whether it's 20 people meeting in a hut in the middle of India, or New Guinea, or Bangladesh, or America, you're so pleased, you're so blessed. And you're looking at us, trying to help us to really be Christ-like, to really be Christians where your Holy Spirit can empower us and fill us and use us and that we come together. The American church, the way they're looking at themselves, it's on self-destruct. Just like England and Germany, it's going to fade away very quickly because it, it's never been really the Jesus style. Lord, we want to come and, and, and say, Lord, here we are. Rearrange our thinking. Let the old things pass away. Help us, Lord. We, we want to have a church that is something more than what we have known all our lives. We want a church to be what you want it to be. We don't know. I just know there's a lot of hurting people here today, and I'm afraid they're, they're coming in hurting and they're going to leave hurting. There's a lot of lonely people here today and they're going to be just as lonely leaving as they came in. There's going to be some people here and they're side by side with others craving friendship and yet they, the person next to them equally has that desire for friendship but yet it's not happening. That we sing without worshiping you, hearing the word without hearing your voice. Lord, let it not be so in our midst. If this message offends and, and you prune our numbers away, that's up to you, Lord. Or maybe this is something that strengthens it all to, to cause double the amount of people to want to press in on you, to know you, to love you. 
Oh, we can come back right now and just say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in us, earthly, worldly, selfish, self-centered, self-consuming, looking at your church as like a grocery store that if it has the items that I want to buy, I'll come back. If not, oh, I just won't go back. But we wouldn't be coming for ourselves. We're coming to fill up the carts of everybody else. Lord, give us that mindset that you have. We know you love the church. We know that all of us are to be a part of the church intricately, one's a foot, one's a hand, one's a ligament. All the joints and ligaments working together causes a growth in the body. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you guys for being patient and let me working through that. It took a little more time than usual, but.